Iowa everywhere. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Heart and Flags and Gifts presents Legends and Listeners with Scott Docterman and Chad Leistico. Fly them high and fly them proud. Find your flag at heartlandflags.com. Breaking down the Big Ten from the Channel Seat Studios, this is Iowa Everywhere. Hey, Hawkeye fans, Big Ten fans, and Iowans everywhere. Welcome to episode 27 of Legends and Listeners here on the Iowa Everywhere Network. You are looking live from the Channel Seed Studios. My name is Chad Leistico, a sports columnist for the Des Moines Register. Happy to be joined, as always, by Scott Docterman of The Athletic. Back in our 11 a.m. Thursday home, Scott, after uh, an early show last week. And great timing for today's show, Scott, because we've got a wide receivers coach to discuss. We've got uh, also a bigger conversation about Big Ten football, which is kind of cool. Fresh Iowa men's basketball result against Maryland to digest, but the biggest story in our lead story today, a history-making night ahead at Carver Hawkeye Arena. Yeah, it's it, you don't get these moments very often, Chad, and and this is this is a record-breaking moment, one that'll be seen or uh, streamed live nationally, which I know has irked some people, but it is what it is. You got to get with the times when it comes to your consumption of television and the like. Um, but, you know, Caitlin Clark, who is the most dynamic athlete I've covered at Iowa, and there have been some great ones, Chad. Even over the last 10 years, Iowa's had 10 uh, consensus All-American football players, four of which won national awards. You look at they've had two first-team All-American men's basketball players, including the National Player of the Year in Luca Garza. They've had a two-time Hodge Trophy champ in, in Spencer Lee, who arguably was the greatest wrestler in the storied history of Iowa wrestling. And then in women's basketball, we've had a National Player of the Year in Megan Gustafson, who I felt like was the GOAT uh, of, of women's basketball and put her face on the Mount Rushmore of Iowa sports. And then came Caitlin Clark. And the, to me, Mount Rushmore is a face of one at Iowa, and it's Caitlin Clark. And what she has done on the court, the statistics bear it out. Where she's taken Iowa to, that bears it out. And then also um, what she's done off the court, no athlete in Iowa history, at least in the last 85 years, has, has had the impact that Caitlin Clark has had. So tonight is her coronation as a legend um, for college sports, the most recognizable collegiate athlete in the country today. Uh, only needing eight points to become the, the 
highest scorer in NCAA women's basketball history. Yeah, thank you for mentioning the points. That's uh, that's the milestone we're talking about. She's at 35-20. Kelsey Plum's at 35-27. That is the NCAA uh, Division One women's basketball career scoring record. She will do it in 126 games. Plum accrued those points in 139 games. So this, I mean, it is remarkable. And you just think about, I just don't know, like, has there even been a college athlete ever to have this kind of impact? I really, I don't know. I don't, certainly not in my recent memory because, you know, college athletics, um, you know, in the last five, 10 years have just been a lot of, they don't stay forever in the men's side of things. You know, even in football, you don't get, you know, maybe Deshaun Watson or somebody that stays a long time. But um, just, I, I mean... The commercial Only one. I mean, yeah. I mean, because of the NIL and mm-hmm. uh, just how she's captivated both men and women, uh, boys and girls, and just created. I mean, she's also a a source of conversation. You know, do you like her style? Is you know, there's there's pluses and minuses that come with that sports conversation as well. We know from covering her here in Iowa um, that she is you know an outstanding ambassador for women's sports, all sports. Uh, really doesn't bring any controversy on to herself at all. It's all just manufactured from the outside and she just plays at such a high level. I mean, the fact that she uh, recorded her 1000th assist the other night in her career. And when I left Lincoln, I was like, you know what? I didn't even put that in my column. <laughs> like that's out. That's like the Caitlin Clark. I mean, yeah. it's just like, Oh, there's another like incredible accomplishment. It just, it's just become so normal normalized here. And, uh, we're kind of seeing the whole nation take notice this week uh, of and tonight, especially uh, at what's going to take place. It's uh, it's it is kind of cool that Iowa City is the center of the sports universe tonight. Yeah. The only athlete I can think of it collegiately that has had this kind of impact in, in a different way, but similar impact is Tim Tebow when he was at Florida. And not only because he won the Heisman, but because of what we represented and and how he competed and, and, and that sort of thing. But that was in a, it's a different era, different sport. Um, you know, NIL certainly reshapes the game a little bit. And Caitlin Clark is at the forefront of that, um, you know, with her commercials, you know, and every, you can't watch a big 10 game without seeing, you know, like a good neighbor, you know, her insurance company is there and uh, <laughs> let them sponsor this podcast. Right. But uh, no, but that said, I think the neatest thing about this, whole situation, Chad, that I've witnessed um, over the last, especially calendar year, is that the way she makes people feel around her. And and I would say that women in particular have been kind of discluded from athletics uh, as far as a, a prominent level, that they haven't had the an athlete who looks like themselves to cheer for in some ways, or at least at this high of a level. And so when you have 14 year old girls uh, screaming like they were going to a Taylor Swift concert uh, when they see her, the, the bring the, the big signs and, and hold them up at games and drive 500 yards and have their birthdays. At, you know, this is their birthday present to come and watch Caitlin Clark compete. And then conversely to have middle-aged and older women who maybe played six-on-six basketball in Iowa, who played played other sports. Um, But now they have somebody that they paved the path for and have them take it to a height that's never happened before. I think that is really neat 
be that transcendent of a figure and uh, to allow people to enjoy and bask in the moment. And she marries both the past and future with the present. It's, it's a remarkable state of being for the Caitlin Clark effect. Yeah. And everybody's talking about it. Patrick Mahomes, Steph Curry. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's not like we're making this up. <laughs> I know you guys know mm-hmm. that, but it really is. Uh, she's got everybody's attention, including the greats in the biggest games, just played in the biggest game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is talking about Caitlin Clark. Well, what a pleasure it was to say hi to Kevin out at Heartland Flags and Gifts last week here in Des Moines. Uh, they say they have nearly every sport, every team, every flag, and they, they mean it. They're right about that. In fact, they will even customize whatever you need, whether you're running a high school booster club or you just want to get something for a family member, a coworker. Uh, you know, I don't know how often they do that, but they do it. So that's pretty cool. I appreciate the support, uh, their support of the Legends and Listeners podcast. We would love it if you support them too, so we can pre- keep bringing you these podcasts every single week. And on top of all that, Heartland Flags and Gifts offers free shipping anywhere in the U.S., and it is truly a local operation. They will physically go to the post office the next day after you order. At least that's what I witnessed. So visit our good friends online at heartlandflags.com or in-store at 3719 Southwest 9th Street in Des Moines. Scott, back to Caitlin Clark and the Iowa women. Uh, I do want to talk about uh, kind of the angst, the negative reactions after Sunday's game. To me, the social media outcries from the Hawkeye fan base kind of matched a football Saturday for us. You know, people are mad at Bluter. People are also thinking Caitlin was sandbagging, trying to get the record at home. Um, it, it. The reason I bring that up is because that's what that's like what Hawkeye football Saturdays are like. And now the, the fan discourse Good and bad, uh, we've reached kind of a time in our Hawkeye sports conversation where a disappointing result for the women suddenly is creating that same visceral potential reaction from the fan base. Your thoughts on that? Because we experienced that so much in the fall, and it's a, it's, it's a little bit new for us uh, you know, when we're covering the Hawkeye women. I knew this was going to happen. Last year, after the reactions of the national championship game, going to the Final Four, selling out season tickets – that it was bringing in a part of the fan base that is that generally gets grumpy <laughs> for to be nice after football and men's basketball losses that now they're transitioning over to the women's game and the pride that they take in being an Iowa fan and then the the anger that they get because the women's basketball fans traditionally obviously a smaller base have been the most friendly and positive of the fan bases at Iowa. And it's always been a, um, you know, they, they've cheered them on. And if they lose, it's like, well, shoot, they lost. Well, okay, now let's, well, we're fine. We'll move on. Well, we know that's not the code for the football fans that, you know, they love them win big or win somewhat little. Um, but, don't love them as much when they lose and like to complain about it. And I think we're getting that a little bit here. And, and I, you know what? I get it. You know, this team was ranked second in the country. Now it's fourth. You go to on the road to Nebraska team that Iowa fans don't like to lose to anyway. And then they had a big lead and then they'd squandered it and, and lost and they lost in fashion where it, it is, there is an ability to, to attach some blame. What, 
what happened in the fourth quarter? Why didn't Caitlin, why was she able to score? What did the offense not do well that it was doing for three quarters? You know, what, what's wrong with the approach? Um, how do they need to improve it? I think those are all legitimate feels. Um, the expressions, I don't think were as negative as football, but they were there. And, and I do, do think it brings up questions, Chad. What could have Iowa done differently? Now I'll say, you know, one aspect is, Molly Davis and Caitlin Clark were sick. And the, the fact that Caitlin could put up 31 in, in, in the state that she was in, and you know it better than I do, uh, speaks a lot to her, her ability to overcome even an illness. But, you know, out, outside of that, do you see anything in that fourth quarter that Iowa could have done better or differently to make it better um, down the stretch? Yeah, I rewatched the game, talked about this a little bit on the, on the Hawk Central pod. Um, last night and or Tuesday night. And, um, you know, I, I think the narrative that Clark was kind of not trying to score is not right because she did, she did shoot six times in the fourth quarter and there was, she had a a really nice clean look that that went in and out uh, for 15 feet pretty early in the quarter when they needed a bucket. And usually that's when she takes over and physically, uh, and I don't want to put words in her mouth. She's never said this. So this is me saying this physically. It just did not seem like she had her usual strength. And certainly that is validated by the fact that someone who's sick and has played for a couple hours, warmed up for a couple hours, you know, um, you're going to hit a, hit a wall at some point. Maybe Bluer could have done a little bit better with subbing, especially without Molly Davis, uh, you know, Gabby Marshall missed some open shots. Uh, Hannah Stolke missed a, an easy layup. I mean, it, this stuff happens. Nebraska made some really difficult shots. Uh, but Iowa did score only three times on its final 21 possessions, and that's just not – that's not like Iowa. Somebody usually hits a shot. Somebody usually comes up big. And it's usually Caitlin Clark, and she, you know, probably probably put up a, a three-pointer too early in the shot clock. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think you would probably uh, – you could get a 30 footer at the end of the shot clock. You don't have to shoot it seven seconds in with 23 to go. And then all of a sudden Nebraska rebounds near in foul time. And um, Iowa actually was lucky to get two, three point shots up to tie in the yeah. final seconds. I mean, Nebraska probably should have been fouling because Iowa was out of timeouts, but that's a different conversation. So a learning experience, but it is, you know, I think the fans that want to see this team, Scott, go to the final four, you know, get another shot at LSU or whatever, um, you know, there is, there's legitimate concern. I've never thought that this was going to be like a team that's going to just steamroll to the national championship game. It was going to have to come together and they'd have to get really lucky to get to the final four again. I still feel the same way. I mean, they're 22 and three, they can still win out in the regular season and tie for the big 10 regular season title and, and probably be in a really good spot for a number one seed in the tournament. But so that stuff's still on the table, but I also see a scenario in which they go three and two or something in these final five games and or three and three in the final six to count the Nebraska loss. So, um, mm. you know, maybe it's a final four team. Maybe it's not. Um, I just kind of brought that up because as I'm kind of curious, like the, the level of how people are consuming Iowa women's basketball is now like, ah, you know, going crazy if they lose. So, Yeah. This does this does need some perspective, and you know, and, and I don't want to minimize the the angst, you know, because they lost a winnable game, and it's the second time 
that they've ran into the same situation, basically being up double digits in the fourth quarter and then f- losing on the road. Among the things that Lisa, I asked Lisa about yesterday, and she brought up Lisa Bluter um, that they every game is like an NCAA tournament game for them. They are, uh, you know, she said Nebraska celebrated like they won the national championship after beating Iowa, you know, that it was their national title. Um, to, you know, and then, of course, the way they played against Ohio State with a fraction of the energy and efficiency that it did against Iowa kind of validates that. Um, when, when they got beat, what, 80 to 47 last night by Ohio State. So it's, it's kind of valid. Uh, you know, I, I would say that there are a couple of areas of concern that I have, and I think we can evaluate this and analyze it in a way that's not calling anybody out, but just in a, in a way that's, that's fair, is, you know, we've all kind of looked at the loss of Monica Zanano and the lack of a replacement five as a detriment to this team, and they've been able to mask that really well by having a four guard offense with Molly Davis in the, in the starting lineup and then sit off Alder has played really, really well at, at, at times off the bench and give them a, a boost there. But, but in the fourth quarter, when they have to change their style a little bit, when they go from being the, the run and gun transition team that nobody can stop, and they get to that lead. They want to milk clock. Well, they get in a, in a half court set the shots inside aren't as easy. They're not getting as crisp of passes and the teams are playing a little bit more physical and then they're struggling to adjust to that. Not having a five who can score without dribbling is, is a little bit of a detriment for them. And the other part is in, um, you know, a veteran like Gabby Marshall needs to make more shots. She either, she needs to take more shots or she needs to make more shots, maybe both. And again, you know, evaluating it at a different level, you know, when because as hot as she was late, last year, late in the season and into the NCAA tournament, Iowa needs that because everybody's going to collapse on Caitlin. And if she's not physically able to do it, just, you know, or just too many players in her face, somebody else needs to. Kate Martin has stepped up since the beginning of the year. And I think Gabby Marshall needs to be there too, or somebody else needs to do, take that, plot, that spot. Yeah, I mean, personally, like, uh, I'd like to see Gabby Marshall shoot more. I know she's yeah, in a I agree. slump, but when you go one for four or zero oh for three on a night, it's not necessarily indicative of what kind of shooter. I mean, she had that three pointer from the right side go in and out. I mean, yeah. Um, so exactly you know, to me, it, uh, I would be of the mindset of, hey, let's get Gabby ten three pointers today against Michigan, and let's mm-hmm. just let her gun it up. She's a great yeah. shooter. She's historic. You know, historically pushes that 40% threshold. She plays great defense. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to lose that defense off the court. She's got, she's the three and D type of uh, player for the Hawkeyes. So that would be the way I would approach it. And then as far as like end of the game, I mean, the coaches know better than we do, but what Kate Martin said after the game Sunday was, you know, we were playing to uh, not to lose instead of to Mm -hmm. win. So maybe these, these, lost leads are a reminder that hey we just got to play our style and i don't know if it's like if you would say it's like dan campbell lions you know just keep going you know keep attacking no matter what the score but maybe that's what this iowa team just needs to do to be the aggressor because that's when they're at their best when they are the aggressor and you know it i think it's easy to try to sit on a lead and they kind of tried to against nebraska it just didn't work out so I will be curious to see if it changes their approach. And last question on this, Scott, and I, this isn't, 
I didn't know we were going to even go down this road, but uh, Dargan Southern, who covers the women with me, um, and I were talking on the drive back, and it's like we're just wondering, and just it's, it's worth observing, like all the circus, all the pressure every mm-hmm. single night for three, four months. Like, is that going to eventually has will that reach a point where it's just you're exhausted and you can't push through? anymore is i think that's a real thing to at least watch if that's going to happen what are your thoughts that's why i think the schedule is absolutely perfect for them the way it lays out they come back home this is the end of most of the caitlin clark um coronation she's going to set the record tonight it's going to be a fabulous moment in the history of iowa sports Women's college basketball, everybody's there. They're going to play an opponent that if they play to their ability, they will win. Um, and and then, then it goes away, Chad. Then they're gone. They're off the court for a week. They've got a free weekend. They've got any, the opportunity to put it all in the past behind them. Okay, Caitlin got the record. We celebrated Caitlin. There's been this drumbeat of Caitlin, 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 Caitlin for so long. And when, you know, graphics up, she's going to get the record. She's this, she's that, she's this, she's that. Now it ends tonight. They go into the weekend. Maybe they get to go see their parents if they live in driving distance or, you know, and they can, you know, sit on the couch or do homework or do whatever for a weekend. Come back, kind of mentally regroup, try to refresh. Next week, they've got probably the most difficult game left on their schedule. You know, at least, you know, you could argue Ohio State, but I think going to Indiana might be more difficult than playing Ohio State at home. And then it's about the Iowa Hawkeyes. Caitlin is part of that. And everybody outside will talk about it, but I don't think we will as much, Chad. I don't think the people around Iowa will as much. And really even on TV, they'll talk about how great Caitlin Clark is, but not the drumbeat of Caitlin, Caitlin, Caitlin. And then it's about focusing on Iowa getting back to the big winning the big 10 championship going to winning in Minneapolis going all the way in the NCAA tournament. I think that's really healthy for this team because if, if she was 150 points behind, I would worry about that. But I think this team is mentally tough enough and they've handled this stretch so much that I don't think it'll burn them out. And I I think the fact that they're not playing Saturday or Sunday is just so helpful for this program. That's a really, really, really good analysis there, Scott. And uh, I like that a lot. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Bluter gave them two, three days off. I know you're mm-hmm. supposed to only get one, but yeah. you know what? Take Friday through Sunday off. We'll get back at we'll get back at Indiana, looking yeah. at Indiana Monday, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. I love that. I think that's a really good thought process. And you mentioned Molly Davis. I mean, she's played basically six minutes in the last two games. Uh, mm-hmm. Lisa Bluter said she shouldn't have played her against Penn State. She regretted that, and uh, that'll that'll be a big help as well because she's one that can create her own mm-hmm. offense. She's probably second to Caitlin in that regard, where you can just give her the ball and she can go, you know, do one of her little teardrops in the lane, or mm-hmm. uh, she can hit a three two and um, maybe draw a foul. You know, that was the other thing. Iowa didn't have any free throw attempts in that fourth quarter at Nebraska, so they really weren't attacking enough. Uh, to get to the foul line, and I, that's that was my one kind of criticism of of the whole fourth quarter was have Caitlin you're down one with with mm-hmm. 30 seconds left in the ball have your best player try to create something 
closer to the basket because you know when she yeah. drives, she's going to draw attention. She can kick it out to, you know, an open Kate Martin three, a Hannah Stulke layup. You know, even if Hannah gets fouled and makes one of two, you're tied. I mean, um, a lot of good things could have happened there. But right. anyway. Enough of that. Uh, if you are a Kansas City Chiefs fan, hopefully you enjoyed some Steeple Ridge bourbon after that incredible Super Bowl on Sunday night. Uh, and if you did, you already know that Steeple Ridge delivers a high-quality, delicious drinking bourbon. If you don't find Steeple Ridge at your favorite retailer, ask for it by name. Steeple Ridge, distilled, aged, and bottled in Iowa by Lonely Oak Distillery. Uh, Scott, my my prop on DRF Sportsbook uh, was a winner. Mahomes over Purdy passing yards. What a game for Pat Patrick Mahomes. I mean, uh, that was that was sure a fun Super Bowl to watch. Uh, I don't really uh, have any further comment on that. I guess I was kind of happy for the Chiefs. I didn't really care who won, but I just want to see a good game, and I got a whole extra overtime, Scott. Yeah, you know what? That was one time. That was one time, and that I was excited to see an overtime. You know that I'm like, I don't want this game to end, and it's because I. I appreciate defense, and I know some. You know, some people don't call this one of the great games of all time because of the uh, lack of offense. I'm like, no, I I like defense. I think defense is important to the sport, and the fact that both teams are playing elite level defense against good players, and the quarterbacks didn't have bad. It wasn't like they had bad games in in regulation. It was just that the defense was were playing at an elite level, and that's what it's about too. And and so I. I, I was split, you know, I, I covered the chiefs for six years. I have family or, you know, family and friends who are diehard chiefs fans. So I'm happy for them personally, but, but then again, I'm also, you know, partial to George Kittle. I really like George. I, I talk to him sometimes. I, so I, I think I, I kind of wanted to see him get his too. And so disappointed for George, happy for the chiefs fans, it didn't affect me personally because, you know, we cheer on the same team and and we know uh, our team still has some big decisions to make here in the next couple, couple of weeks. Yeah, it's draft season now, Scott. For me, it's mm, yeah. football to NASCAR wagers, so I'm looking forward to some NASCAR <laughs> matchups for the Daytona 500. Uh, if you had Iowa money line or even Iowa plus five and a half points last night, you probably felt pretty good uh, with the Iowa men leading 54 to 44 midway through the second half at Maryland, but the Hawkeyes were outscored 34 to 12 the rest of the way. Lose a tough one, 78 66. A potentially season crushing defeat, Scott. Iowa drops to 14 and 11 overall, 6 and 8 in Big Ten play, and now the games get much more difficult. Uh, we've been pointing to this finishing six game stretch. It's not easy. And now Iowa's at six and eight in the Big Ten. It could get pretty ugly here, Scott, but there's also some opportunity. What uh, I know you watched the game as well as I did last night. We weren't there, but uh, your thoughts on on uh, getting swept by Maryland in kind of disappointing fashion? This is the this is the worst one, and, and it was because they, they they dictated tempo for the first you know half and half of the first second of uh, the second half, and they looked good from the early opening. But they needed this win because after you know they got they lost their first three in the Big Ten, then they went three and zero, and then they played Purdue, and they were three and four. There was a seven game stretch where they could really make things happen against teams like them that are kind of in that 
middle to lower middle tier that can make some moves. And they went three and four. And two of those losses were to, to winnable games against Maryland. Uh, and they lost one, you know, at the basically at the buzzer, but at the very end of the game at home. And then they went there, dictated tempo, and then fell apart late and didn't get didn't get many calls. But you know what? It was a physical game, and and I thought Iowa's fouls were more obvious than than Maryland's fouls. And this is costly. There's just you know, if we want to be real, now now there's really very very little hope of going to the NCAA tournament. They've got more opportunities because they're playing better teams, but Iowa has and shown that it's a team capable of winning multiple games against NCAA caliber teams or quad one opponents. So I thought the opportunity is now gone. Now it's about, you know, crossing your fingers and hoping. I just don't see it right now for this team. Yeah, Iowa uh, drops to funnily, or is that a word, funnily? Mm-hmm. Comically, how about that? <laughs> uh, the uh, Maryland jumps to... 75 in the net with the win. So that becomes a quad one loss for the Hawkeyes. So the Iowa now uh, 0-7 in quad one games. Four of their final six will be quad one matchups, including Saturday's home sellout against Wisconsin, which is number 20 in the net. Then it's number 22, Michigan State on the road Tuesday. You know how that usually goes uh, at the Breslin Center. And then it's Saturday at number 13, Illinois. So these next three... I mean, you got to win Saturday against Wisconsin. Um, this is to have any prayer. But, I mean, the one thing I'm saying is, like, there are some quad one games here coming up where you could really boost your chances to have a shot. But you'd almost have to have come close to running the table the rest of the way. I mean, against really tough competition. And then they end the season, you know, mm-hmm. at Northwestern, home against Illinois. Those aren't going to be easy either. Yeah, and I think what there's one other one, maybe home against Penn State somewhere in there. Yeah, that's and, the one and, you think they yeah. could win, but they lost over there. So right, they lost by ten points. You know, and and that that's why I thought they really let opportunities slip away. And we've kind of hedged on this team for a long time, months. You know, we've sat on them until you know really Groundhog Day. You know, for better part of three months of the basketball season, thinking, well, they're young, they've got some good pieces. How do they come together? Going three and four down that seven-game stretch was, you know, it's the difference between now they're set at six and eight in the Big Ten versus, say, eight and six. If they could have, if they could have beaten this team, if they could have beaten this team. You know, there's really no ifs. Now they are what their record says they are, which is six and eight in the Big Ten. And now they face a really uphill climb um, because going to the Breslin Center and going to the State Farm Center, formerly known as Assembly Hall, in consecutive games – Great Iowa teams and very, very good Iowa teams have gone there and, and lost by 20 points at both places on a routine basis. doesn't mean that they can't win, but it just means it just shows you that going there is not going to be it's a wish more than a hope. And, you know, now Michigan State's not as good as it's been, but it's kind of ascending a little bit. So, you know what? You're going to get a physical game there. Uh, you're you're going to have to fight through it. And Iowa showed against Maryland. It can't do it and win. It struggles, and it doesn't beat a team like Michigan State. Then Illinois is a bad matchup for Iowa. I just don't do not like what Illinois presents for the Hawkeyes. Going to Northwestern, they're undefeated at home in the Big Ten, and I, I know I'm sounding making this sound like dreariness, but 
It doesn't give me any option at this point. If they would have won last night, then you could you know start talking sunny side up that well, maybe if they do this, this. To me, uh, out of all the the big games other than Penn State left, Saturday is the winnable one because they they they're one and four in their last five games and they beat Ohio State, which cost Chris Holtman his job. Yeah. Outside of that, you know, and, and I so I think Saturday sold out game. Saturday afternoon rivalry. You're playing against a, a highly ranked opponent. Now you got a chance. Go. You got to make your chance. Otherwise, this the season's toast, man. Well, you know how the Big Ten whistles work too. I mean, last mm-hmm. night the Hawkeyes, uh, Maryland got called for a foul at 13:24 of the second half. Uh, Tony Perkins hits two free throws. Maryland doesn't get whistled for one more foul until 55 seconds were left in the game. Iowa got whistled for 11 straight. That uh, That's part of the reason I'm guessing mm-hmm. that Tony Perkins was a little frustrated in the yeah. <laughs> final minute. And Fran voiced it afterwards, too. He said, I don't want to get fined. So and yeah. he's done that before. We know that. Um, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. So there were certainly some disputes with officiating. So I wouldn't be surprised if it just magically reverses itself on Saturday. <laughs> Yeah, but we'll see. I got to finish the basketball because I want to get to football, Scott. You know, the, I just want to remind people the last five seasons for Iowa, 23 and 12 NCAA tournament within an overtime of the Sweet 16, 20 and 11 would have been a five seed in the NCAA tournament if not for COVID. Uh, 22 and nine, you were a two seed, obviously NCAA disappointment uh, against uh, Oregon. Mm-hmm. And then 26 and 10, you win the Big Ten tournament. Um uh, and again, first round knockout. Last year, you make the tournament as an eight seed, nineteen and fourteen. So that it, this program was due for a rebuilding year, and we thought this was going to be a rebuilding year. Uh, there were definitely enough pieces here to maybe make a run at the bubble, but it's not like it's not like we had high expectations for this particular team, and consistently they have unmet expectations. So I do want to give, you know, you got to give a program a little bit of a hey, a little bit of a pass one year. Like, you can't do it every year. And it just doesn't seem like this is Iowa's year. I think it's fair, Chad, for all of us to to apply the both sides-ism to this. And it's fair, certainly, to talk about that they're one of, what, four teams to go to the last four – or one of ten teams to go to the last four NCAA tournaments. That's completely fair and to discuss that. It's also fair to discuss that since, I think, 2012, that Iowa and Michigan State are the only two teams in the Big Ten to have one or less um, losing seasons in Big Ten play. It looks like Iowa's headed there again for for their second losing season in the Big Ten since 2012. Overall, the the regular season has been pretty solid. I think you know for Iowa under Fran McCaffrey. Now everybody, people all will bring up to you know 1979. You know last regular season. Well, Tom Davis didn't do it even with great players. You know, Steve Alford had good teams. You know, they finished second in his best team. Fran has been close a few times. So there's like this 50-year angst that could just has strapped itself to the Iowa basketball program that can't it just can't shed. You know, it doesn't have a year like Iowa women had last year. The problem comes at this juncture, Chad, is the realistic fans have kind of fallen off and it's because that when the years when they were capable of reaching that sweet 16 um you know that 
the the overtime loss to, to Tennessee, notwithstanding, that was a, a remarkable comeback. That was as great of a comeback as you'll ever see, and, and it fell short. Uh, but I think the, the two seed year, or one of the, the the year when they had Utah and and Gazelle and and Woodbury, or any of those years in there where they were in the top five in that you know during the regular season slumped and then go one and done or one and one in the NCAA tournament. They needed a year where they could punch through to to get to get a worthy reunion team. <laughs> you know, instead. There, you know, this is the 25th anniversary of the last night you know, of the last Sweet 16 team. There have been 97 teams that have went to the Sweet 16 since Iowa has been. That has to change, and that's what I think. That's why there's an apathy there. There's a Fran fatigue. It's not for the, it's not for the individual season because absolutely this year looks to be the year. And I think I don't want to say they've overachieved, but they've certainly met my expectations based on all the people that they've lost. But it's the whole now. It's the aggregate that people are frustrated with. And I get it because, you know, just one year, get to that second weekend so that you could just continuously get excited about this team. And instead, it just doesn't get there. It just doesn't get there. And that, to me, I think is is what is kind of paralyzing the, the progress of this program. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, Scott, on Wednesday, John Budmeyer was officially named Iowa's wide receivers coach. It looked like uh, all the contracts mm -hmm. uh, got signed yesterday, so they didn't really sit on this. Uh, mm -hmm. The uh, Kirk Ferentz, Barbara Wilson, Beth Getz signatures go, went on it yesterday. $375,000 a year for John Budmeyer. Um, Kirk Ferentz, in a statement, says, John is an excellent coach and a perfect fit for this position. So uh, I read your piece at The Athletic. I know we talked about it a little bit last week. Um, I don't know. Perfect fit might be a stretch uh, from, what I, from what I read in The Athletic. Yeah. I think, I think fans have a right to be disappointed or frustrated with this. And now there is one way, and I've kind of thought about more this morning, that it can be mitigated and turned into a positive but it's up to Kirk to make it happen. Now, there's no doubt that the last two years have been disasters <laughs> on a macro and micro level for the Iowa offense. It, they've been disasters. Um, and John Budmeyer was part of that. Now, he was a special assistant to the head coach, senior special assistant, and then and an analyst the year before to just kind of work his way around and be able to do what he could do. Um, here's where... I'll, I'll, you know, so I don't understand all the frustrations. I get it. And I even wrote about it. I will say this, that there is one way where this could actually be a big positive for Iowa. And I'll start with this, that Tim Lester doesn't know Iowa's personnel. John Budmeyer does. John Budmeyer has been the behind the scenes Wizard of Oz with, with the quarterbacks for the last few years. He could be the translator 
from quarterback to wide receiver and help Tim Lester implement his offense and do it in a way that everybody can come together. I think that is a positive. Of course, when we're dealing with the wide receivers, the negatives are, are um, adamant. I mean, the wide receiver position has been a desert for a long time, for a decade. I mean, 24 receivers of eight freshman receivers have come in five and ended their eligibility at Iowa at that position. But if Kirk Ferentz can get a graduate assistant who is a recent NFL guy, wide receiver NFL guy, if he can bring uh, someone in who's getting ready to start their career and they're 27, 28 years old, bring him in to allow, to show the ropes and be the, the big brother type as a grad assistant and work with John Budmeyer, who's building the, the, the scheme with Tim Lester and have that guy who could say, look, when I was in the league or when I was at take your pick of a power five program and somebody did this to me, I could do this. If they could work together that way, I think then, then, it, then it's a positive. But if they don't, if they just do what they do, then I, I then I think this is going to be something that it's it's going to just continuously dog at them this fall, next year off season, and beyond. Well, I think um, yeah, I kind of I kind of come at it with I want to give both sides basically. Like I, yeah. I'm not like too down on it. Maybe it's part of my um, maybe I just expected it for so long. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of i mean kirk is this is like a very kirk ferentz hire somebody you trusted you mm-hmm. trust um somebody who's you know been with you here through the wars for two years and um you probably had him in line to maybe succeed brian and it just didn't that wouldn't have been palatable to do that so you do this instead uh he's making one hundred twenty thousand less than copeland so again it gets to your point like i was not making wide receivers coach a super high priority financially either. So, but I reached out to, to somebody and uh, this is kind of the feedback I got about what they were working on with Bud Meyer, what they're hoping for with Bud Meyer is that he can kind of be what Brian Ferentz was to the tight ends with the wide receivers, like somebody who can teach the offense, teach what you need to do in the offense to the wide receivers. And I think I would experience that success with Brian uh, being able to, to coach a Sam Laporta, like he was a really good tight ends coach and teach him how to, you know, manufacture space, et cetera, and within the offense and read stuff and mm-hmm. zones and, and get open. Now wide receiver is that's good in theory, but you also have to, number one, you have to have athletes. So we, I mean, maybe John Meyer, Bud Meyer will be a great recruiter. Who knows? Maybe he won't be though. We don't know. Um, we know he brought Cade McNamara here, so that's a, presumably a plus. Uh, but at the same time, you know, wide receivers, you kind of have to ha- be able to take over a game. And, you know, it, it's not just all mechanical and, like, following what you're supposed to do. So, I mean, of all positions, you kind of need to create stuff at wide receivers. So I don't know if it's going to work or not, uh, but I understand Kirk Ferentz's thinking here just because that I know <laughs> that's how he, he operates. and uh, But I just don't know if that's still the right way. I guess the, uh, to, ba- to give it my final thought here, the best hope for Iowa right now is that Tim Lester gets a good voice, 
in this whole deal and gets to implement what he wants to implement and actually make actually make real change. I think that and that the Bud Meyer thing doesn't this it didn't matter who's in that chair. It's if Lester is is as dynamic as the ceiling is for him. Uh, that's yeah. that's where you got to hope. And, you know, and that's where I can kind of, you know, if, if you want to look at it just from the surface level, it, it looks like a big miss, which is, you, you know, you had a guy who was an analyst, who was a special assistant, who was brought here to help with quarterbacks. And then all of a sudden you fire the wide receivers coach and then you put him in there. And, you know, just because you like the guy and he's a good coach. And, and it, you know, it's, as you said, just such a Kirk Ferentz move, like. You know, well, Abdul Hodge, you like the guy, he, form, he played for you, and so he's a linebacker, and so you put him in a tight end, so, you know. Or, you know, t- Tim Polisek, well, we think he's a good coach, and let's make him an offensive line coach. You know, and that's such a weird way to look at things. But then you start to look, take steps back, try to analyze it a little bit more. Ken O'Keefe left Iowa um, as offensive coordinator slash quarterbacks coach after the 2011 season, went to the Miami Dolphins as wide receivers coach. Um, he's coached wide receivers. It does work hand in hand quarterbacks with wide receivers. It's the passing game. The quarterback can talk to Bud because they're, they're friends. They, they've known each other, you know, Peyton McNamara or Deacon Hill. And I'm sure Marco's in the same boat um, and describe the routes that they like. And then the, he can cater the wide receivers to what the quarterbacks like and then work together new with Tim Lester to make it all happen schematically i think that's there it just needs a buffer and i think if you were to bring in i i know i wouldn't even know where to start but let's you know say a wide receiver who played at um, an acc school then went to and played four years in the league maybe he didn't catch a lot of passes but he's just ready to he wants to be a coach and you bring them in ground zero graduate assistant to work with those those wide receivers too, and they can be the buffer, be the big brother. I think fans would be happy about that. It's like, yeah, I heard of that guy. He played at ACC school. He played a little bit in the league. He caught passes. You know, he, you know that I think would be make it palatable. But that's where that's a Kirk decision, and I think that unit could use somebody who's been on the field, who's competed at that level at that position. That's why I liked Marvin in that job so much, you know, and maybe it's because I know Marvin pretty well and we work together on Monday nights and Cedar Rapids is because people went to see him. You know, he had, you know, his pictures up in the wide receiver room, <laughs> you know, he was the big 10 def- receiver of the year. That that's a long ways away from what Iowa is right now. And granted, you know, it, it could still work with Bud Meyer, and I don't want to sell him short. I want to give him a chance. I don't think he's a bad coach by any stretch, but I just think that they've kind of lost the benefit of the doubt when it comes to the passing game. And this was an opportunity to, to go out and get somebody that people know and respect and have heard of and recruit to that position. And now you're starting at probably a negative territory. My, and, you know, on the plus 10, minus 10 scale, you're starting at about a minus three. And if you bring, at least bring somebody in, as a grad assistant for a year, two years, something like that, to help in that transition, I think it would help. Well, Scott, when we start, first started Legends and Listeners, we intended to talk a lot of Big Ten football, hence the title, the crazy mm-hmm. Iowa football drama of twenty, the fall right. of 2023, really dominated our conversations, as they probably should, you know, over the past six months uh, or the first six months of our show. Uh, we're kind of running out of time here again, but at least let's – 
set the stage for one thing, one more thing we wanted to talk about, which is the crazy amount of coaching changes in the Big Ten, uh, the 18-team Big Ten. As you pointed out to me in text, six new head coaches, nine new offensive coordinators, including Tim Lester and now Ohio State's Chip Kelly, mm-hmm. and nine new defensive coordinators in the Big Ten this year. Uh, I'll just list the six new coaches. David Braun, officially a new coach at Northwestern. Mm-hmm. Jonathan Smith, Michigan State. Kurt Kignitty. I don't know Sign- if that's right. Signity. Okay. I didn't, yeah. not familiar with him as much, but uh, yeah, off the top James of James Madison. Tyler, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, well, I know he's from James Madison, but I, did, yeah, yeah. I didn't know the pronunciation. Um, at Indiana, uh, Jed Fish moves from Arizona to Washington to replace Caleb. Kalen Bohr, who goes to Alabama. Sharon Moore replaces Jim Harbaugh at Michigan. And now Deshaun Foster uh, replaces Chip Kelly, who uh, bolts UCLA to uh, run Ohio State's offense. So uh, what do you make of all of this, Scott? A lot of these teams are on Iowa's schedule. Well, it's, it's certainly fascinating. And and it's what, what I found weird is there are two former Big Ten coaches, now that we lump UCLA in there, who are now coordinators at Big Ten schools when, you know, because Tom Allen is now at, uh, at Penn State as the D.C. So um, going through these moves, I mean, David Braun did an outstanding coaching job last year. I mean, I don't think anybody expected anything near that. I did not expect a, a bowl game or, you know, or even to win a more than maybe one Big Ten game. And then to do what they did was remarkable. So I think he's got a track record. And I think Sharon Moore is in the same boat. Because, you know, he guided that team to, you know, the Big Ten championship and game and and through the East Division as the interim for, you know, one of many suspensions for Harbaugh. So I think he's got a track record. The others are really fascinating to me. Uh, Kirk Signetti had a great year at James Madison. And then he brought more than 10 players with him, which is just unreal. Um so I, I, it remains to be seen what can happen there. Um, Deshaun Foster, I mean, what, what a crap show UCLA is right now. I, I compared him when they came in, I'm like, that's the Maryland of the West Coast, and now they may be worse because, I mean, for their coach to actively want to be to leave to be an OC, and he wanted any job basically he could take as an OC, I think that's crazy. And Deshaun Foster, of course, was a great running back for UCLA, played with the Carolina Panthers, but that's a that's a weird move. Jed Fish, you know, now he ha- you know, now he has to talk about the Iowa thing that he brought up in the on the postseason, you know, which was, you know, he didn't he when he was in Arizona, he's like, Well, I don't have any competition really, because now I gotta because they gotta convince recruits that they gotta go to play Iowa. Well, now you do at Washington. And you gotta come to Iowa City the week after you play Michigan. Good luck, buddy. You don't think that's not going to be told, brought up every single day in the middle of, of October, and you lost all those players? They got some other good ones, but still. And then uh, finally, Jonathan Smith, I think, is the one I really like the most. Fit-wise, he, went, he was at Oregon State. They played outstanding football last year. Uh, went to Michigan State, and I love the hires he made. They are on Iowa's schedule, too, and Iowa goes to East Lansing for the first time since 2017. You know, Brian Lundgren was a really good coach and offensive coordinator at Oregon State, and then he made the steal of the century on defensive coordinator, grabbing Joe Rossi away from, from Minnesota to go to Michigan state. So if, if there's, you know, I, I don't expect much to change at Michigan, except it really comes down to how do they perform against Ohio state in any way. But 
of the of the six, the, the one that I'm like, okay, they can take the biggest jump, it's Michigan State. Now they they had a lot of portal chaos. And so it might take a year. But I really like the trajectory that the Spartans are on. Well, it just it highlights to me just that, you know, there's still openings here. I mean, Washington, you know, uh, that coach was really good and, and for him oh, to yeah. leave leave there for Alabama. And now, of course, there are uh, Ryan Grubb, the guy we talked yeah. about a long time ago, is with the Seahawks. So yeah. it's just crazy how all the movement. And then here comes Iowa, you know, pretty stable still, even with the offensive coordinator change. I don't know. Like UCLA, like you said, it's that's going to be, I think, a disaster. I mean, I just don't see that really working out. Um, you know, Jim Harbaugh's gone now too. So maybe there are some – Maybe there's a path to some openings, you know, in the t- upper crust of the Big Ten, and you just got to basically be in the top four-ish to make the playoff. So um, Iowa's schedule pretty, I think, manageable next season um, if they can get the offense right. So, mm-hmm. uh, like you said, uh, they get Washington next year, uh, get UCLA in the Rose Bowl next year, mm-hmm. uh, Michigan State next year too, right? Yeah, Michigan Over State. There. So yeah, Western, first time in seven so years. Yeah, a lot and of these then, coaches they're going to be facing next season. Um, and they're going to face Chip Kelly in Columbus. Yeah, right. You know? Yeah. So Good point. That'll, that'll be a challenge. But, you know, and then then there's a ton of, uh, you know, coordinators, some interesting names, Mike Shanahan at, at Indiana, but it's not that Mike, Mike Shanahan. Oh, okay. I was going to say, <laughs> I, I must have missed something there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's his name, but it's, I'm like, oh, but no, it's not. <laughs> you know, another one is Steve Belichick at Washington. Bill yeah, Belichick's son. Crazy. Yeah. So, you know, th- those are the two headliners. There's a lot of others. Now, as I said, Tom Mellon, you know, got fired in Indiana. Now he's um, Penn State's uh, D.C. And and then they brought in, a, you know, a total, uh, Andy Kotelnicki from Kansas. Uh, really quick hire. And then, and then the one that, uh, you know, I think is going to be a great head coach someday. And it may be soon. Because you know, you've got you got to look at some of these guys and go, where are they going to end up? Because some of these names are just off the charts. Zach Lugin, you know, at Northwestern OC, he's what, 29 years old, South Dakota state. Uh, I looked at him with some of the offenses he was putting together at South Dakota state as ding, ding, ding. This guy's, this guy's going to be good. So, you know, maybe it's a couple of years at, in Evanston and then maybe he gets a head coaching job at a Mac school. And then, you know, five, six years down the road, you might see him at a power power two program, <laughs> you know? So, uh, but either way, I mean, all these moves are, are fascinating and the big 10 is much more interesting now with these four teams. It's going to be a bear. It's going to be a tough league. I think Iowa's well positioned. Mm-hmm. I think Iowa's capable of, of competing in this league. Other uh, people want to say, Oh, it's just the big 10 West. Well, if Iowa has a capable offense on the level of what it had five years ago, and maintains its defensive prowess, Iowa will be competitive in the Big Ten. Does that mean they'll win championships? I can't guarantee that, but I can say that Iowa can be in the 9-10 to 10 win range on an annual basis, like they have been. Good stuff, man. Good show. I'll see you tonight, man. Yeah, looking forward to it, Chad. This is a, a historic moment, and I think it's a should be a celebration for Iowa fans. And take a step back. Enjoy this moment. We talk – I know I'm rambling here. Football season, I'm like, enjoy football season. It doesn't last very long. It's a gift. Caitlin Clark is a gift to Iowa fans. Enjoy it while it lasts because, you know, in two months, you would be celebrating her, maybe leaving the University of Iowa, and you'll never see her like again.
For Scott Docterman, this is Chad Leistico. Appreciate you catching us today for Legends and Listeners Live from the Channel Seed Studios. Talk to you next Thursday right here on the Iowa Everywhere Network. Iowa Everywhere.